This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. How is the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, CBP, enhancing its enterprise networks? What is CBP's mission-first approach to network and technology solutions? And how is CBP building a resilient enterprise network? I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Bob Costello. Executive Director, Enterprise Networks and Technology Support within the Office of Information and Technology at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Bob, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. What is the mission of the Enterprise Networks and Technology Support area within the Office of Information and Technology at CBP? And how do you support the overall mission? of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection? Sure. Well, I'm actually overseeing two separate directorates right now. So uh, Enterprise Networks and Technology Support is responsible for all of the agency's uh, wide area and local area networks, so so connectivity. Uh, The mobility program, uh, which supports all our agents and officers that have mobile phones or the rest of our employees. The non-intrusive inspection maintenance program, so maintenance on things like x-ray machines and uh, drug detection kits. And then we also run the land mobile radio network, which is uh, you know, the police radio network that supports the entire agency. On my other side, I'm running the border enforcement and management systems directorate that is responsible for all application development for the U.S. Border Patrol. Uh, and then management systems, things like our financial systems, uh, HR systems, uh, in, in concert with our Office of uh, Human Resources, uh, and and then things like SharePoint or, or collaboration tools, things like that. So what are your specific responsibilities and duties as executive director of CBP's Enterprise Networks and Technology Support Area? Um, give us a sense of the scale of operations you support, because it is global. Absolutely. So, and, and I think that's a great question because many people may not be familiar with the, with the role that CBP plays. So, so we operate, you know, in all fifty states. We're about sixty five thousand people uh, as an agency, over fifteen hundred locations worldwide. So, to your point, it, it is a huge operation. Everything from you know facilitating lawful trade and travel to to helping people. Uh, you know, come into or exit the country. We also have that the Border Patrol mission, which is discrete from the field operations mission. So my teams are responsible for ensuring that people have the connectivity they need to enact the the CBP mission. So the scale of our operation is quite large to your point. 
So we are the largest component of DHS, which means we have the largest network in, in DHS. We're one of the, the largest uh, land mobile radio networks in the United States. The scale and breadth of what we do it is so critical to national security and, and economic security of the country. So my responsibilities and duties as the executive director, it, it's largely less technology, even though I'm a technologist, and it's about taking care of people. It's making sure that my CBP's operators in the field are taken care of and that my team is taken care of. So it is a large operation. Uh, ENTS is about 500 people, you know, a team of uh, federal employees and contractors. BEMS is about 700 people. Again, uh, federal employees and contractors, and and of course a, a very large budget that we are responsible for across the two groups, and and so there's a a lot of trust that the operators place in us to make sure that the the systems that we deploy and the applications that we deploy meet meet their needs. I'm committed every day in my role as the XD to make sure that we are are pushing forward the vision of the commissioner and, and the vision of, of the operators for highly reliable, highly secure, operator-focused uh, solutions across the board. Wonderful, Bob. So, you know, with that important portfolio and a critical mission, what are the top challenges you face in your position and how have you sought to address those challenges? Sure. So I think management challenges are, are something that, that we all face. And, and whenever you have a large organization, uh, one of the biggest challenges is how do you get your vision distributed and, and everyone working towards that vision? And, and how does your vision align with the agency's vision? Because that, that's super critical. You know, we have to be in lockstep with the agency's vision in the, the uh, you know, the OIT office. I think one of the biggest challenges that, that I've faced, uh, and it's a great opportunity too, as we're seeing the shift in the, the world to SecDevOps and, and some of the new modern technologies, you're starting to see that merger of infrastructure and software development. But that's a challenge for a lot of people because it's, you know, I was a traditional router person. You know, I was a, a network engineer. That was my, my love and joy until I, be, I, I moved into to management. I was always separated from the application teams. What I'm trying to do now is have these teams work very closely together so that application development and, and maintenance and operations are integrated with my infrastructure team. And what that allows us to do is react to problems faster and also deploy things a, a lot better. Because if the application is developed in concert with, with the infrastructure teams, it'll probably run a lot better on the technologies that we have deployed today. So, Bob, what has surprised you most since taking over your current leadership role? I think one of the the, the biggest su- surprises was, uh, and this is really thanks to a, to a lot of the mentors that I have. I was never an application development person, and and you know we had a need uh, for me to take over an application development shop, and by being able to learn from the the prior assistant commissioners, uh, which is a, a shared role here at CBP, they're an assistant commissioner and CIO. I've been able to realize that. I personally have been taught and learned from others that, that, that I can lead technology in areas that I wasn't familiar with. I think the other thing that ha- has surprised me is the ability that we have in the IT shop to positively affect 
change that has a, a positive net impact for our operators so they can do their job better and faster and, and improve the safety as well because it's, it's real-time information now across the board. So if I can get information, I can react more swiftly to, to problems. So I, I, what I've really enjoyed in the last three years in this role is, is the ability to see when I'm out in the field that my teams have had a positive impact on the operators for CBP. Bob, would you tell us more about yourself? Perhaps you can give us a sense of your career path as well as, you know, some of the things you like to do outside the IT world and outside of CBP. Sure. Uh, no, thanks. So I actually, uh, I'm, I'm an Air Force veteran. I uh, joined the Air Force in the late 90s after working uh, in, in the private sector for a little while and then deciding that wasn't quite ready for college. So I joined the Air Force and it was probably the, the the best decision I ever made. So I got a lot of training there, a lot of skills, a lot of abilities on how to work with people and technology and, and become a leader and become a good follower as well. So, so I did that on, on active duty for a number of years and then the reserves. I spent some time in the private sector in the early 2000s working for a large telecommunication company. There I, I learned, uh, you know, a different aspect of things, uh, the business as, aspect as well as being a government contractor. So, so I learned on how to, you know, respond to proposals and, and interact with federal employees in a different way than when I wore a uniform. In 2008, I, I joined uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement as a federal employee. Kind of moved up through different roles there from running what we called security engineering, then network engineering, uh, doing some data center migrations and collaboration uh, tools like Exchange and, and, and a few other things. And then I uh, had decided that to, to grow my career, it was time to go and spend some time in the field. So I, I joined uh, CBP. And I was the uh, regional director for IT for the, the Northeast, lived in New York City from uh, 2012 to 2017. And there, I really got an appreciation for the other side of, of IT, you know, end user support, field level support, uh, ensuring that, that every day that, that my teams were working with the operators, Border Patrol, OFO, Air Marine, uh, the Office of Trade to, to make sure that their end users could perform their mission every day. And, and then I actually had a, a little bit of a different career turn. In 2015, I became a part-time federal employee, and I went back to school and got my degree at Fordham. And that was just a, an amazing opportunity and, and a, an amazing testament to, to the leadership of CBP who, who allowed me to do that. They, they saw something in me, and, and they made uh, the decision to let me you know, not quit, but you know, use my veterans benefits and go back to school. And then I came back, and I, um, I, I ran uh, as the, the deputy executive director and then the acting executive director for about a year of our field support director, which is about 1,000 employees uh, spread across the United States, uh, pretty much from Hawaii to the, the Virgin Islands. We have personnel. Ran the technology service desk, which is our help desk. And then in 2017, I was selected for the, the senior executive service. And I took over uh, enterprise networks and technology support. So that's my career in a nutshell. So, Bob, I asked my guests about leadership and uh, how do you lead and what are the characteristics of an effective leader in your mind? Sure. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I think it, it's a difficult question because we all make mistakes when we're, we're leading people. And, it, and it's how do you correct from those mistakes 
and, and how do you get people working towards a common problem together? So I, I think one of the ways that, that I lead, I, I am a technologist, so I'm working in an IT shop, and, and I think it's showing a love of technology and a love of the mission. I, I think having a deep commitment to, to whatever you're doing and working hard can be a great leadership characteristic. I think some of the, the, the principles or, or what do I look for in effective leaders, uh, people that can listen, people that can adjust, people that can be flexible, people that are passionate, you know, passionate about the mission, passionate about the project that they're running. I think that those are all things that, that can lead to, to being a great uh, leader, uh, which is much different than being, a, you know, a manager. So, so I think when you're leading in IT, it's important to, to have a love of good IT solutions to problems. And I think if you have a love of the mission, wherever you work, you can become a, a very effective leader. What is CVP's mission-first approach to network and technology solutions? I will ask Bob Costello, Executive Director of Enterprise Networks and Technology Solutions at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. This is The Center This Week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness. Brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I'm Michael Keegan, Managing Editor of the Business of Government magazine. Our guest today is Brenda Smith, Executive Assistant Commissioner, Office of Trade within the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. And I'd like to explore the implementation of the international data, uh, trade data system, or the single window, right. as they say, system. What, what can you tell us about that effort? What are the benefits derived from it? And how does automating the collection and dissemination of information enhance data quality? There's a couple of drivers that have led us in the United States to making the commitment, actually the president making the commitment to what is known as the single window. There's an international standard that calls on um, governments to establish one place for all information required by a government about goods crossing borders to come into and then the government to respond to that information from that one place. It is literally a single window in some countries where paper forms about exports get submitted into the the teller behind the window. And in other places, it is, in fact, an electronic portal like we've just built here in the United States. What we did was to take the information requirements of 47 different government agencies and package them in one package. And in many cases, it allowed us to transition from a paper-based form collection of that information into an electronic uh, receptacle, what we call a message set. One package of information could be submitted to the government. The government would look at that information, having dispersed it to all the agencies that were interested, and then come back with one response about whether we needed to stop that shipment and take a closer look at it, whether it was free to go on down the road, or whether we needed to collect more information. And so if you're sitting in the private sector, instead of dealing with, let's say, five or six different government agency systems, 
problems, you're dealing with one. And when you get the green flag that says your cargo is safe and compliant and good to move down the road, that's good. That gives you predictability, and you don't have to call five different places looking for an answer. What you may have picked up on is this is not just about automation. It's about the operational processes that go along with the automation so that as a government, we're presenting one face at the border and our private sector partners can get information and get decisions from one place rather than multiple places. For the IBM Center for the Business of Government, I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been The Center This Week. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Whitner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Bob Costello, Executive Director, Enterprise Networks and Technology Support within the Office of Information and Technology at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Bob, would you outline your strategic vision for CBP's Enterprise Networks and Technology Support, and what are your key priorities for realizing that vision? Sure. Uh, Great question. Uh, Well, my vision for the organizations I lead is always in alignment with the CBP mission and the commissioner's objectives. So so one of the things that that you need to do is make sure that as you're setting the vision, uh, and and, we do have sometimes like a tactical vision, this is what I'm going to do in the next 30, 60, 90 days, and then the strategic vision. So my key priorities uh, for the organizations I lead are making the shift uh, in in the network space to a software driven organization, making a um, what I call uh, in a very positive way ruthless standardization. That doesn't mean that that you take away innovation or creativity, but it means that that we do have standards that that we're applying and adhering to, whether it's in software development or in the infrastructure space, and then is ensuring that we are always hand-in-hand with the operators to understand their technology needs. Because if we're not, if we're not relentlessly focused on, on, on the mission of Border Patrol, Office of Field Operations, Air Marine, Officer Trade, and the others, then what happens is you end up in that that situation where your, your, your customers are then finding their own IT solutions. So I'm deeply committed to finding ways to partner with them so that I understand their needs and that my teams understand their needs so that we can deploy within the Office of Information Technology effective technology solutions. I think one of the key priorities for realizing this vision is also um, 
adjusting to the changing work environment that, that we started experiencing in March. So that, that was a dramatic change, you know, across the board for the country as well as CBP and, and, and my team members and our customers. So, so I think that some of our strategic visions, at least in the IT space, changed a bit or we adapted it a, a, a bit as that's ongoing. And I think we'll continue to see that adaption as, the, you know, potential changes happen across the board uh, in, in response to COVID-19. Yeah, as a follow-up, Bob, uh, are there any specific internal drivers or external trends that shape and inform your strategy? Sure, uh, absolutely. Uh, well, one of the, the internal drivers is, uh, as, as you're, you've probably seen, the CBP mission is very vast and uh, always changing. So I, I think that What's really helped us here is there's a deep commitment from agency leadership on ensuring that IT is is effective. Uh, so it's great when you have that that support uh, across the board to deploy great solutions. I think some of the internal drivers have been, uh, you know, we're in the position where many of our our workforce can't uh, work remotely or work from home. So, you know, the law enforcement mission, the trade mission, and the travel missions continue. So we've been very uh, committed uh, on that space in our strategy, are making sure that, that we're, we're addressing those needs and in deploying solutions so that they can uh, adequately respond to, to the COVID-19 crisis. I think the principles that, that shape and inform my vision is, is, again, the technology vision, which is... I always want to be the best technology shop in government, whether I'm doing networks, land mobile radio, uh, software development. You, you know, my personal philosophy is we are always going to strive for excellence in all we do. And how do I craft that strategy and how do I enact that vision uh, is, again, sometimes dependent on, uh, you know, the, the customer needs. So... Because we have so many customers internally to OIT within the agency, sometimes our vision and strategy is is different based on the the, the customer needs. I think some of the trends that, that we're seeing in the technology space, certainly zero trust, the proliferation of IoT are two probably of the, the biggest game changers I see, uh, as well as the, the continuous push to, to SecDev ops and, and cloud, cloud native so, solutions. So, Bob, would you elaborate on your mission-first approach to network and technology solutions? Sure, absolutely. I, I think that's a great question, and, and that's something that I, I think the Air Force taught me as well as, as working here at CBP. Uh, I've never worked somewhere else since I left the Air Force where I, the whole agency is really committed to the mission. And so I think it's really important because sometimes what I think has happened in uh, you can see it in IT shops, whether it's in the, the commercial world, the private sector, public sector. Sometimes the IT shops can become insular. And, and, and I'm very proud to say that, that OIT and, and I think that the, the directors that I run are not or we're trying very hard not to be. We, we, if you are deeply committed to the mission and, and deeply invested in working with your customers, um, I think you get better solutions. So. I very much welcome and want to, to have positive uh, or sometimes, you know, 
feedback sessions with our customers on what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and how are the solutions that we're deploying helping you meet your mission? So I I think part of that too is training too. You got to make sure when new employees come on board that that they get immersed in the CBP mission and, and what we're all trying to accomplish together as an agency. Technology modernization is a key priority for the Trump administration. I'd like to explore that area right now. What are you doing around modernization and how does cloud and cloud migration factor into your efforts? Sure. Uh, great, great question. Uh, so we've done a lot of modernization in the last three years on our infrastructure. Uh, and that's on our you know, on-prem systems as well as our, our cloud infrastructure. So we've been on a, a long journey to, to modernize our network. Uh, and it's it, it's in a much better place than it was three years ago. There's still room for improvement. Uh, but we're seeing dramatic increases to bandwidth to our field sites. Um a lot more options for working with different sorts of technology, whether that's LTE as backup, using the internet as transport, which has been a huge game changer for us to get you know big internet connections and strengthening our partnerships with with the telecoms because they they have a large role to play in our network. We've also worked really hard uh, across the boards to stand up an enterprise operations center within OIT, so you get that fusion of application network uh, on prem data center and, and, and cloud so, so that we have good situational awareness uh, across the board. You know, the goal being that we know about a problem before our users know about a problem. So that's been kind of some of our, our key areas. We have a lot of modernization efforts across the board, whether it's application modernization. We have uh, some big modernization efforts for Border Patrol and the Office of Trade that are ongoing. Uh, analytics is playing a bigger role than it has before in data visualization, taking our data and visualizing it in different tools, uh, you, you know, for, for our operators and for leadership. Uh, so, so that's been a, a rather large game changer. I think on cloud migration and, and cloud migration efforts, I, I think that, you know, we're in a hybrid model right now. I think we'll be in the hybrid model for a while. I, I think the benefits that we really seek from the cloud uh, you, you hope that when you make the cloud migration that you get improved resiliency, um, less downtime, which is always a, a good thing. I think if you do it correctly, you can improve your, your security as well. Uh, I think some of the other benefits that we get is the possibility of allowing our people to focus more on ensuring that the delivery of our applications are meeting our operator needs and we're less and less concerned with do I have the right hardware in my on-prem data center? Do I have enough power? Do I have enough X or Y? So, so I think in the coming years, it'll enable OIT to be even more focused on the operator needs and less focused on owning the, the iron in a data center, which, which as I think a lot of people know, that, that can be a very expensive as well as resource-consuming and time-consuming long-term projects, you know, maintaining your own data centers, maintaining your own infrastructure. So, Bob, would you tell us more about CBP's wide-scale re-engineering of its networks at the southern border? For example, to what extent does this uh, effort include large-scale bandwidth upgrades? And are there any plans to expand this effort beyond the southern border? 
Sure. Uh, great question. Uh, last year, uh, we did have the need to dramatically increase the bandwidth on the southern border. So, so that was uh, one of our, our, our key projects of FY19. And, and to your point, when we have thousands of locations, it's not every location on the southern border that we've been able to upgrade. But it, it was last year a, a rather large effort, and, and that was my, my team out in the field working with local telecoms, working with field support, uh, as well as the operators to kind of get that done. We are seeing uh, the ability now to, to acquire bandwidth at a much lower cost than we were before. And what we're also seeing, too, is we're, we're now modernizing to the point where we're able to use different transport technologies to deliver more bandwidth. So in many cases, we're using the internet, so I can get you know one gig uh, or even higher connections at, at some of our, our our larger sites, and then maybe I'm using MPLS at a lower bandwidth, but you know higher reliability with the with the telecoms as a backup. In many locations, we're using uh, LTE uh, provided through uh, FirstNet to be, be a backup option for, for our field sites. So when the terrestrial circuit gets cut, they, they remain up and operational over cellular. The efforts last year were, were largely in the southern border, but, but I'm proud to say that, that we have uh, done many sites on the northern border or interior of the country. We also have some modernization uh, efforts underway for our Oconus sites. Uh, we did some, some great work in Japan and, and in a few other areas. In our new... Uh, modernization efforts, all new sites or, or upgrades go through the modernization effort. So we've actually modernized uh, well over 500 sites to, to a new um, architecture that, that's prepping the way to, to go large scale on SDN, but also opens up uh, the, the, the gates to allow us to use a lot of different transport technologies to increase bandwidth. The proliferation of the Internet of Things, IoT, directly impacts the travel and trade enforcement missions of CBP. You know, Bob, to that end, what are you doing to manage the impact of IoT involving non-intrusive inspection? And how are you working to integrate previous generation technology that may not be connected, but that you want the telemetry and data? Sure, that, that's a great question. So, and, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there too, because there, there's IoT native or, or true IoT devices, and then devices that are maybe legacy um, that are almost appear as IoT, uh, but but they you know they they don't conform to all the standards or, or or stuff like that. So, in some cases, what we've done is build interfaces uh, from some of our legacy uh, radiation detection systems. Uh, that, that we're then just ingesting that data uh, across, uh, you know, cellular and, and bringing it into to our systems. For, for IoT uh, native devices, uh, cameras or, or others, we're looking at, you know, building IoT gateways that I think a lot of places are doing uh, so that we can ingest that data, scrub that data, and then feed it to the, the associated systems. It, it is going to be very challenging because... Uh, like, like many law enforcement agencies, we have a lot of devices that collect data. Uh, it could be a, a license plate reader or other technologies, camera systems or detection systems. So I think in some cases, we're still at the early stages of this because we still have a lot of disconnected systems or legacy systems, or we're, we're still kind of 
getting our, our toes in the water on some of the IoT systems. And, and I think uh, it's been a challenge uh, for me because it's been something that I, I've wanted to push forward. Uh, and then, then in some cases, other things have overtaken it as a priority. I, I think what we're going to see, though, is the to, to your point on uh, really the telemetry uh, or the or the data, and I and I think what we're seeing within OIT is we start forming you know data lakes and and some of those other elements is I think that we're going to be able to ingest this data and then it's getting it to the appropriate systems. And then also, how do you distill that data so that people see the information that they need to see, potentially nothing more, if there's a security concern around it, but also see that you don't overload people with data. IoT devices can generate a lot of data and it's important that you have analytics running to make sure that uh, we're not generating so much noise that people can't make sense of the data. Would you elaborate on your efforts to enhance network and technology security across CBP? And, and more specifically, to what extent does, the, does it involve the upgrading and enhancing of CBP's security posture overseas? Sure. Um, well, I, I definitely can't talk about any physical security things overseas. Um, I think one of the things that I'd like to highlight is is myself and the CBP CISO have a, a wonderful working relationship. Uh, you know, it's a true partnership be, between uh, Alma Cole's organization and mine. So I, I think that's one of the hallmarks of how you improve security is partnerships and working together. So by having that partnership, and we're, we're building that uh, in, the, in the app dev space as well, uh, but, but specifically on network, uh, you know, my teams work hand in hand with his teams. They know each other by name. They know how to work together. Uh, they know how to reach out across the, you know, across the line so, so that neither of our group is working in a silo anymore. And, and I think that that's highly important as we move into next generation networks or SDN or different connectivity models where people are accessing data uh, from different devices. So I think one of our efforts has been, and and I'm proud to say that that I I think we're there and I think we work uh, very closely together, is that sharing of data. When I build a system, I make sure that, that, that security is involved from the start. Uh, we've made vast improvements on the amount of uh, network information that we feed into the Security Operations Center. Uh, so I, I think that those are ways that we've enhanced network uh, security across the board. Specific technologies, you know, we've rolled out new next generation firewalls. We're rolling out some zero trust solutions that, that I think are really going to be game changers as we continue to open up you know, access from remote locations, whether that's overseas or someone's home, uh, but also some of the things that application developers need. So, so inherent to, to OIT, you know, certainly things like Git and, and other resources are wonderful resources, but you have to be real careful with what you post and, and controlling your code. So some of these zero trust solutions are going to allow us in a fashion to give our developers the access that they need with the right security controls. And that allows us to speed up application development for the operators and get them solutions that they need faster. So I think, I think really the enhancing of the security posture comes back to that partnership 
but between the network teams, the application development teams, and the CISO's office to make sure that we're all working together for, for a common goal to improve cybersecurity. And Bob, just a follow-up. How does Zero Trust, is it seamless? Uh, does the, uh, the operator see it? How does it work for them? So I, I think that's a great question. And so my goal when I, I roll out IT solutions, I think this is uh, something that we should strive for is uh, I hope that the operators never have to know my name because uh, the solutions work so well. Um, that's not always the case. Um, but but you really want to roll out solutions and being a law enforcement agency uh, and, and then the, the varied missions we have from the agricultural inspectors to OF, you know, that are part of OFO and the Border Patrol mission, the Office of Trade, uh, you know, has a, a very critical and important mission. Uh, you don't want to make it so that IT is hard to use or people are jumping through a bunch of hoops to get access to the information they need. So it does tie back to, to having strong identity. Uh, you know, we need to be able to verify who that person is uh, and what access levels they should have. But my, my overall goal is to deploy sol- solutions, um, it, you know, including zero trust solutions that are transparent to the operators uh, and transparent to all our users. Uh, you know, the Office of Finance has a critical mission for, for CBP. I don't want them to have to go through you know, three different things to access the financial systems. So that, that I think that's a great question. And I think it's uh, something to, to keep in mind when we're designing any IT system is how easy is it to use for the operator uh, of that system? How is CBP expanding its network mobility? I will ask Bob Costello, Executive Director of Enterprise Networks and Technology Support at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Bob Costello, Executive Director, Enterprise Networks and Technology Support within the Office of Information and Technology at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. So, Bob, would you elaborate on your efforts to build a resilient network? What types of network redundancies are built into your system to support and provide better service to operators and to citizens? Sure. Uh, gr- great question. So, so some of the things that we've done, uh, 
it, you know, at our field site level, uh, whether that's an airport or a border patrol station. Uh, in many locations, we're going through a, a local area network refresh, which is improving, uh, you know, lowering the age of the, the switches we, we have deployed. Uh, so that, that's a, a critical element. If your equipment's old, it's going to have a high failure rate. So, so that's one element. Um, at, at the Y area network level, many of our field sites now have cellular backup. Uh, that's a, a, at a few hundred sites right now. And, and that's a critical game changer that, you know, terrestrial circuits can get cut, uh, you know, happens all the time. Uh, now they have a, a cellular backup option that, that's worked quite effectively. Uh, at other locations, we have, uh, you know, dual circuits uh, that, that come in to the facilities. Uh, where possible, sometimes they'll come into different ends of the facility or, or be geographically diverse. Um, for our cloud connectivity, we do have an East Coast and West Coast, uh, what we call a cloud access point, so that we get that geographic diversity there. Uh, I, I think too, it's also doing constant reviews of your, your your network because you know things can happen. People can make a config, and then you have a loop in your network at a field site. Um, so so we're doing kind of those constant uh, you know reviews of the overall health of the network to make sure that it, it's running well. It is a very large network, so modernization efforts take a lot of time. Uh, as well as the fact that it, it is just, uh, I think you highlighted before, the geographic, uh, you know, it's a worldwide footprint. So some of the things that we can do in a metropolitan area, we may not be able to do in a rural location or overseas location. Uh, so, so it is one of the challenges of, of running the CBP network is that it's, it's not, um, you know, located in dense metropolitan areas where you maybe have a lot of options, you know, we, we have very large facilities and sometimes very rural locations. Bob, I'd like to switch to CBP's mobility strategy. What is being done to expand mobile and rapid interdiction capabilities to respond to changing threats? And uh, how does your work support the remote operations of CBP? Sure. Great question. And so, you know, we've been on a mobility journey, so to say, for for uh, a few years now. I think that we're, we've made some really great strides. Um, you, you know, I, I have a, a great director that's running that right now from the infrastructure standpoint, as well as, the, the you know, deployment of uh, the solution that manages the mobile devices. And, and I think that was, you know, one of the challenges that, that we had for a while. Um, we didn't have a discrete group that, that, that was kind of running that, that infrastructure and, 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 and capabilities. So we, we do have over 24,000 mobile users right now, and that could be, you know, everything from iPhones to Androids to iPads and, and a few other devices. I think what we're starting to see is is a large push to make sure that data is available, you know, to leadership. So we have a lot of dashboards that are now available uh, to the agency leadership, so they can view, you know, you know, at a glance what's going on in, in certain areas. And we continue to expand that all the time. Uh, so that's been a, a great win there. I, I think overall too, it's you know, working hand in hand with the the operators. So we work very closely with Border Patrol. On, on one of their 
large application deployments that has a uh, you know a situational awareness application, and that's been going uh, very well. And and I think the reason it's it's going well is that that we work so closely with them, and and that we understand what they need, and then we have you know, one side, I have the application developers working real closely with them and then the infrastructure teams. So, so we're starting to see those, those kind of one team working together towards a mission. Um, we do have a lot of other apps that are available that allow um, officers to do, you know, checks from a mobile phone uh, or receive alerts. And, and those are run by other parts of OIT. But I think we're starting to really see you know, some great applications being deployed that, that really give some great capabilities so that you don't have to be standing behind a desk or, you, you know, in, in a booth to run some of the queries that, that we do uh, at CVP. Bob, I'd like to turn to the people question, human capital efforts in your area. What are some of the key challenges here and what are you doing around the efforts of retraining and retooling of staff? Sure, uh, I think that's a great question, and we, you know, we really have to thank our our, our human resources management um, arm of CBP that that's really helped us uh, in the last few years uh, improve our hiring. You know, for for a while we we had a lot of vacancies, and and that's gotten a lot better. I, I think one of the the challenges is it's uh, you know change change is hard. I think that anyone who says that they love change is is maybe lying a little bit. Um, uh, you know, I like my day to be pretty structured and know exactly what I need to do. And, and IT is really hard because IT changes a lot and, and very rapidly. But I think uh, I personally feel that the pace is increasing. And, and so it's how do you help people make that pivot to new technologies? Is it through training? Is it through you know, training largely, but, but also explain, you know, you got to explain why we're making this change. And that's, that's, that's a hard, a hard thing. Cause in many of the areas that I run, you know, we made the, the change from, you know, a capital expense model to an OPEX model. Uh, and so that can be hard for people to, to adjust to new types of contracts and, and, and things like that. One of the challenges we face too, and I'm sure many, uh, faces in the private sector is it's hard to give people the time that they need to take the training. Uh, and, and we need to commit to that, to sending people to it and making sure that they're, they're not checking their phones all the time, that they have someone behind them that can run the day to day. So we can give people that opportunity to be fully immersed in training. Uh, and then also you need to do training at the right time. They need to be able to come back to work and immediately put those skills to, to work. Otherwise, they, they forget them. Uh, I think on a, attracting uh, new, new talent, uh, you know, CBP does a lot of advertising. So I think that that's helped quite a bit, you know, LinkedIn and, and some other resources. Uh, and I think, too, it's, it's getting the, the word out there that, that it, you know, at least in OIT, if you want to do great IT, CBP is a wonderful place to work. I, I, I think that there are, are are few other places that you can go that that does the breadth of IT that that OIT does, uh, and that you know the CBP mission is so vast that you have the opportunity to work with all sorts of technologies, whether it's infrastructure, camera systems, application development, uh, big data, cloud. It, it's all here at CBP. 
So, so that can make it very attractive uh, for, for people that, that are looking for a career in IT. Bob, would you elaborate on your efforts to leverage emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence and blockchain in the delivery of network and technology services across CBP? What emerging technologies hold the most promise for helping you to achieve your priorities? Sure, I, I think that's a great question, I, and and some of the things that um, you know, while I try and always be uh, on the cutting edge and blazing new paths, sometimes uh, as a law enforcement agency and in an agency where where people's lives depend on on information they can receive from our IT systems or. Or you know, camera systems have to be up and, and reliable to make sure that that you know people are kept safe. Citizens uh, that we secure the border, that that our officers and agents are kept safe. So sometimes it's not what is the latest and greatest technology, but what is the stable technology. Um, so that does does factor into it. Uh, we are doing some interesting things on the network with AI. Uh, you know, partnering with some of our larger vendors that are deploying. Um, you know, uh, wireless systems that, that use AI to give you analytics on how good performance is down to the user level. So I think that, that that's one area where we're exploring things on, on the network. I think in network security too, you're seeing a, a lot of uh, the, the big vendors doing, uh, you know, cognitive analysis of network traffic and, and you know, measuring how the network is performing using AI. So I think there's a lot of interesting things there, particularly on kind of the back end. How do we analyze this, this gigantic network that now it's, uh, you know, it's not back in the days when I was hands-on keyboard where, I, you know, it was pretty easy to even visualize in your mind uh, a large network. Now the volume of data that we send across the network, the number of connections, uh, the number of connected devices, you, you really need some technologies like AI to be able to analyze that, that information to give you human-readable graphs and analysis so that you can make decisions. So I think that's where we're going to really see AI applying to the network space is, is helping us analyze the vast amount of information and then make decisions uh, on that information. Bob, how are you using uh, data analytics to identify emerging and constant threats? And what are some of the key challenges in this area? Sure. Uh, we're, we're starting to. And I think some of the challenges in this area is how do you kind of get all your data sets in one place that you can run analytics on them? Because we have a lot of disparate tools still on the, the, the network. So that, that's been a challenge. We do we actually are, are running a, a project right now and and hence, uh, on this specific area, how do I use data analytics to, uh, y- you know, become more predictive and less reactive to, to, to network events? How do I do trend analysis? A lot of our tools now are, are feeding some, you know, into the security operations center so that they're able to, to understand the, the health of the network, you, you know, what needs to be patched in the network. Uh, so that's helped us manage risk uh, from a cybersecurity standpoint. Uh, I, I think one of the, the, the key challenges we we have is it's it's still we're in kind of a uh, you, you know a migration state to a new modern network to a software defined network 
you, you know, what tools will be players in that, that, that journey. Uh, and then also just, uh, you know, data science is hard. I'm not a data scientist. So you got to get the right people that can do the analysis of that, that, that data and make sure that we're actually, um, getting the, the, the accurate results of the analysis that we expect. I think what I'm trying to say here is you need the right people that understand the math behind it to make sure that, that everything is, is logically correct. Uh, Cause it's like statistics. You can make it say whatever you want it to say. Exceeding customer expectations is a key priority for you. Would you tell us more about your efforts in this area? How do you anticipate the technology needs of your customers? And how do you work with them to identify better ways to use technology to change how they achieve their mission? Sure. And, and I think one of the best ways is, is being with, with your operators or, or with the operators that you support, uh, which of course has been, you know, very hard during the COVID-19 crisis. But I think that that's, you know, allowing, uh, you know, my team to go out in the field and work with Border Patrol and OFO and, and Air and Marine to actually see what they experience every day, because it is very different than what you experience in, in headquarters or what you see from internally within just the IT organization. So I think that that's critical. And I think it's allowing your teams to have very positive relationships uh, with your customers and the operators. Um, you, you know, listening to, to their issues and, and trying to find IT solutions to meet that. Um, I, I think sometimes it can be hard to anticipate uh, what the next latest and greatest technology will be. Um, and, and I think one of the, the ways that that we've had some some really huge achievements here uh, is that you know the the commissioner has an innovation team and and they're out there looking for 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 new solutions and, and a lot of new technologies it, and we have such a positive working relationship with them that that it's allowed us to to be on you know help the agency. Uh, effectively operate and acquire some some really modern technologies that that I think are really game changers in the law enforcement space. But I, I think the the key to exceeding uh, customer expectations is that constant feedback with your customers on how are you doing? Is this meeting your needs? Uh, what could we do better? What what what's working well? And and I think the other thing too is you have to realize in IT that just as IT changes all the time, your customer's mission or needs or, or requirements can change too. So, so we have to be accepting of that and, and, and ensure that we are, are constantly, relentlessly focused on ensuring that what we are delivering meets the operator's needs. So Bob, how are you leveraging partnerships and collaboration to improve operation and outcomes? Sure. Uh, I, I think that we have a good, positive working relationship with, with the department, uh, CIO's office. So, you know, we work very closely with them. I, I think with other uh, components of DHS, you know, we have a great working relationship with our partners at CIS and ICE uh, in, in TSA. So, so I, I think we're, we're starting to see that and you get to see the, you know, the benefits of, of working across the line there. I think um, it, it's absolutely critical to have partnerships with your contract partners that, that you have on on staff, as well as with the OEMs. 
it, it's absolutely critical that we maintain lines of communication with our big vendors. And that can be that can be difficult because sometimes we only talk to them when there's problems. And I I, I think that you need to to talk to your your, your vendors uh, more. Understand what new capabilities they're rolling out. You know they should be aware of the challenges that you're facing. I think we need to to probably do a little bit more of you know we call them reverse industry days where we tell industry what we're looking for or what our challenges are. I think those can be highly effective. Uh, so I, I think it's also ensuring that to the greatest extent possible, partnerships are, are, are positive. Bob, what advice would you give someone who's considering a career in public service? I, I think that uh, the, the advice I could, could give anyone is you will never find a more rewarding career than being a public servant whether that's working for a city, a state, the federal government. Um, I, I, I think that there is, is, is nothing more rewarding than being able to, to serve in that capacity. Um, I, I think it's, uh, no matter how frustrating a day can be for me, I, I can go home and, and say, I helped protect the country today, or I did something good, or I helped people uh, that you know are in a law enforcement profession and have a very, you know, a, a much higher stress level than than I do. I help make their day a little bit safer. I think when you're in public service, you're going to have this ability to to affect change across so many different areas. And that you can do so much good every day. There, I, I, I truly believe that, that between the armed services and, and public service or public health, um, that if, if you want to make change in the world, uh, then those are the places that, that you can do it in uh, each and every day that you go to work. Well, Bob, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule. But more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank, thank you very much. It was, a, it was a pleasure to be here today. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Bob Costello, Executive Director of Enterprise Networks and Technology Support at the Office of Information and Technology within the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on the intersection of government, leadership, and technology. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app, and always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report, Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. 
Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.